Even if you didn't know anyone who got sick from COVID, COVID took its toll on everyone's everyday life, and parents were dealt some especially tough hands. Besides the obvious fear for the health of your little ones, many parents also had to figure out how to work and care for their little ones when daycares and schools close. Some parents lost their jobs. Expecting mothers had to go to OB appointments alone, and some mothers had to deliver alone. Parents of school-aged children had to guide their children through online learning and manage mental health effects of the severe decrease in social interaction, not just their kids, but for them too. This is Megan's as Mamas, two best friends with the same name and the same due date, sharing their different experiences as first-time moms. And today we're talking about parenting in the pandemic. Yes, this is something we both got to experience firsthand. And interestingly enough, I was talking about this with my mother, my own mother today. Um, I don't know any differently, right? Um, yep. But I know that many parents do know what it's like differently and the ramifications that it's had on parents and children uh, are going to be long lasting. And so we wanted to share some of those things today. Yes. Um, obviously, there's like a lot to unpack here. And like you mentioned, things are going to be long term and we'll see how it all play out. Um, but first, let's get a little snapshot of effects on children, mental health and schooling. Um, so as of like late last year, found some preliminary data points um, and it pointed to some alarming effects on kids. So just a few, um, emergency rooms saw an impact of 24% increase in mental health related visits from children aged five to 11 compared to the year prior. Uh, the increase among older kids was even higher, 31%. That's pretty crazy. Um, wow. And just to think about that, that's just mental health related visits. Right. Yeah. No, like nothing to do with actual COVID. Um, but just the mental health effects of, of the lockdown and and everything, which I, I know a lot of people felt. Um, mm-hmm. um, another unfortunate impact is that um, food banks have been slammed with hungry families, um, with 17 million children cut off from um, free school lunches and are not having enough to eat. And that's an increase of about 6 million hungry children compared before the pandemic. And this may not be something that you're aware of, but hunger is an extremely prevalent problem in our society, especially in low-income communities. And so being in education for over a decade and working in exclusively in low-income communities, many of my students and the families we work with, no matter what they were able to do, just didn't weren't always able to put food on the table. And so oftentimes a lot of children the only meals they receive are breakfast and lunch from school. And so you think about what happens when that is cut off, it leads to a huge increase in families not having food. So the school school network I worked with previously, we gave school lunches away and we gave meal kits away because that's an extreme problem for families um, to start with before the pandemic and the pandemic just exacerbated that. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of that on the news, just, um, you know, the drive through lines Mm -hmm. to give away the school lunches, which was something that I didn't think about because I have led a very privileged life and I've Mm -hmm. never had to think about that. Um, Incredibly sad. Um, 
Now, you know, so a lot of schools have reopened, um, but not all. And remote learning was definitely a big struggle. Um, schools had to completely flip from obviously the traditional in-person approach to online. Um, and even schools that are open, um, if, you know, where children are wearing masks, that's a whole nother thing um, that the children and um, school staff have to navigate. Um, one national testing organization reported that the average student in grades three through eight who took a math assessment uh, the fall of the pandemic scored five to 10 percentile points behind students who took that same test the year prior. Um, and students of color and low income fell even more behind. Um, so there was a quantifiable effect in actual test performance from the pandemic, um, online learning, masks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. school system isn't that hot to start with. And right. so this is um, incredibly alarming when we think about what this means for students, um, especially as Megan mentioned, low income students, knowing that they're already behind, oftentimes low income and students of color are often behind to start with and falling even further behind. Uh, recently in Tennessee, they put out our state scores and there's some discrepancies around there. And obviously children are not just a testing score, that's important, but it's still a measure we need to take into account. And I believe it's something like 23% of children were proficient in third grade reading. Oof. That means less than one in four children yeah. right? can yes. read, can read guys. So, <laughs> oh, brother. Um, but continuing along the, that note um, of, of the school note, that uh, classrooms have been unusually empty with quarantines and sickness affecting attendance. Um, and the face-to-face -face interaction ability and computer issues and fear interfering with online instruction. Um, and so an important part to note too is that not everyone has access to the internet. Mm -hmm. That's another thing I think that people forget. Um, that's not ubiquitous. And so, or if students don't have a reliable internet um, connection or if students live in a rural community, that may not have it. Um, so that's definitely something there as well. And that some districts report that the number of students who missed class, um, at least 10% of class. And when you miss school, that has really long lasting effects, not just beyond learning, but there's a correlation to a lot of other pretty negative pieces. Um, and then another phenomenon, unfortunately, that happened was that kids just weren't coming to school, period. So kindergartners weren't starting kindergarten when they should have um, and students were just sort of dropping off the grid and um, schools had no way to get in touch with them. Yeah, very sad. Um, actually, an estimated three million vulnerable students, um, homeless in foster care, um, disabled students or students that, you know, English is not their primary language or they're learning English um, were among the most affected there and appeared to just not be in school at all. Mm hmm. Um, and while this is a lot of doom and gloom, uh, there are some numbers that are not all bad. Um, so, for example, drug and alcohol use among youth went down, um, as well as juvenile arrests and incarceration rates, which 
we <laughs> don't get me started on our country's juvenile justice system. But all that to say, it's good that these incidents went down. Yeah, there we go. One silver lining, I suppose. Um, so that's some of the effects um, that we found just on school age children. Um, but obviously the pandemic and the lockdown um, and schools closing or switching to remote learning rather um, had a big impact on working parents. Um, so work and life challenges intensified during the pandemic and definitely put a strain on working parents. So even if you managed to keep your job and you were lucky enough to have a job that allowed you to work remotely, um, that left a lot of parents watching after their kids or you know, helping their kids navigate online learning um, while having to perform their same work duties. Um, so it definitely caused a disruption of work-life balance. Um, it made many parents feel guilty because they were trying to do two full-time jobs, um, watch their children and help them, you know, learn um, school or go through remote schooling if they were school age. Um, so it left many parents feeling guilty, whether they were working because then they aren't attending to caregiving and they might be increasing screen time or I mean, remote learning is screen, <laughs> screen. So, um, or when they're caregiving, then they're not, you know, attending to their work responsibilities. Um, so it was definitely a no-win um, situation, and many parents believe their parents suffered as a result of the pandemic, and they had to rethink their futures and their career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a shock to no one, uh, <laughs> mothers are dis disproportionately expected to shoulder the burdens of household and caregiving responsibilities during the work week um, and are experiencing more reported feelings of anxiety than fathers. There was a huge spread in the New York Times about this um, that was disheartening uh, and really sort of solidified that um, mothers were the ones who were taking it most of it on. Yep. Yeah, um, significantly more mothers than fathers, so 62% versus 52% in, in this one um, reference that we found, found it difficult to switch off their mind from work at the end of the day. And they also reported that they did most of the childcare tasks um, and fathers were more likely to expect their partner to manage those tasks across the board, you know, whether they're also expected to work or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that mothers in this particular study worry more than fathers that they can't support their children with school tasks as much as they need to. And mothers are more likely than fathers to feel guilty when working because they're not able to uh, attend to caregiving. Um, Again, because a lot of mothers and, and parents in general were left having to watch their children and also work. Um and Which is, you said, Megan, those are two separate jobs. Yes. Say it again, two separate jobs. Yes. And uh, it's not surprising to me that mothers feel guilty because there's like mom guilt. Like every, everyone knows that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. It has a name. Um, but yes, yeah, so. ...hand to be dealt as a parent Um we do have some just general tips that we found just about how to 
help your child cope with COVID and some of the risks. Um, and the first one would be just to talk about it with them. Um, be willing to talk about COVID. They will obviously have heard something. Um, they've been impacted for over a year. Um, and just silence and secrets don't necessarily protect children. Um, so honesty and openness usually are the right way to go. Just think about how much they will understand and how to pose it to them. Obviously, you, knew, you know your children best, um, but being willing to talk about it is definitely a big help. Mm-hmm. And on that note, allow your child to talk freely. Um, ask them open-ended questions and find out how much they already know. I think that we oftentimes um, don't think children are absorbing as much as they are. And they're very smart, but very clever. And so they're they're listening to us and they're listening to the things that they see and hear from other adults and other people, other children, frankly. And so ask them what they know um, and be interested and really listen to them when they're talking and telling you these things. Yep. And along that note, um, always answer their questions truthfully. Um, obviously think about how old your child is and what they can understand. Um, and again, you know them best, but um, always try and be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your child may be scared or confused. Um, so give them the space to share how they're feeling and let them know they're there for you. Uh, it's kind of like the big little feelings. And we're already trying to practice this in our house of it's okay to be scared. Um, it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to feel anxious. And I think when we tell children, oh, it's okay, you you minimize those feelings. And we know as adults that being told like, it's fine, everything's fine. <laughs> like, that's not how that works. It doesn't, if that was it, we, no one would have anxiety. Um, and so definitely just give your children the space to feel those emotions um, and process it with them as best you can. Definitely. Um, and being that, you know, throughout this whole process, we've all, uh, been having to learn as it, as it comes. Um, it's okay to say, we don't know in response to your child's question about COVID. Um, but we're working on it or we don't know, but we think this, um, you know, use it as an opportunity to potentially learn something new. Um, and again, just be honest with your child. Um, and if you're still in a situation where you're, you know, watching your child while you're trying to work, um, another tip or a few tips rather, um, we can start out with is to try and maybe lower your expectations and get real, um, with what you're asking your child to do. So let's say if you're in a work meeting and you're trying to, you know, talk over the, over the computer and you need it to be quiet or you hope that it's quiet. Um, can your child actually do what you're asking them? It's very hard for a child to keep quiet inside for a whole day, but maybe they can keep quiet for 15 minutes while you're on the call. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great one. Manage, helping to manage your own expectations and then set things that are reasonable for them. That way you both feel successful uh, is a really great tip. Um, Another one is to get structured. And so obviously this is for toddlers plus. Um, And so COVID really took away our routines and human beings thrive on routine, even when we say we don't. Um, And this is really hard, especially for children. And so making new routines can help. Um, One thing that this suggests, which I know we also suggested to our parents 
um, when they were doing at home learning is to make a schedule <clears throat> that has structured activities as well as free time. It's important to block in free time. Uh, that way your children can feel secure because they know what's coming up next and their behavior will most likely be better. Yes. And, uh, you know, older children and teenagers can help set the routine um, that you're trying to make, um, like making the schedule or helping with the schedule. Um, children will follow it better if they help to make it. And definitely include exercise and outdoor time if it's possible. Uh, this helps with stress um, and with kids who have a lot of energy at home. And I think about there's like the Japanese principle of forest bathing. And it's like to walk around in nature, it makes you feel better. So if you're able to get outside in any kind of a way, uh, it'll definitely lift spirits and moods. Definitely. It makes me feel better to, yes. uh, to get outside. Um, and along the lines of the hygiene um, that COVID has brought to the forefront of our lives, um, try and make hand washing fun. Um, you can second song for washing your hands and add actions kind of make it a game um you can give children's points or rewards or praise um for regular hand washing uh, depending on the age of your child obviously mm -hmm. and you can um also make a game to see how few times they can touch their face <laughs> um and then you can add masks into their play by putting it on a stuffed animal um and practice and reward for wearing masks properly. A good hack that I saw for like the toddler, because I think most people require like two and up or three and up to wear a mask. Most places, like I know airlines do, is to start by having them um, wear a mask while doing an activity they really love. So this one mom said like, oh, my child loves Paw Patrol. So we started out with like half of an episode. Then it was like a whole episode. And then it was like an episode and a half. And that way they're doing something that they would ordinarily be doing but practicing doing it in a mask um, and that way they could get comfortable wearing it. And that way it's not such a that battle that I know I've seen some parents have to fight of like, put your mask on, put your mask on, put your mask on. Um, children are a little bit more used to it. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, speaking of masks, um, there are some big questions that I think have been coming up um, over the whole pandemic about masks and specifically children wearing masks. On their development might be um so uh, one question that i've seen out there a lot is do masks cause speech and language delays in young children um and obviously these are things that maybe haven't been fully borne out and studied um but just a couple things that i saw on the topic a consideration is children are hardwired to learn language and visually impaired children you know blind children um, they acquire language skills as well. Um, so when you consider that, um, obviously the mask blocks the visual cue, cue of, you know, adults or anyone speaking um, their mouth, but um, visually impaired children acquire full language skills um, unless there's some other outstanding issue. Mm -hmm. And another note too is that children in other cultures where their parents may have their faces partially covered. So you think about... If um, a in an Islamic nation where a woman is um, wearing hijab, she might have her mouth covered and those children learn language as well. So that was a helpful tip I saw. Um, yeah. But I will, I will say that we did find the Scientific American who, that 
Man, that's my aunt, one of my aunt's favorite magazines. She is always <laughs> really American. Oh, yeah, she loves it. Um, so I've heard a lot about that my entire life. But all that to say that um, one study in a lab, uh, they showed videos of babies and they were watching their eye movement and they discovered that babies do, um, children who were able to see, uh, do some lip reading and that that uh, sort of starts at the onset of canical babbling, um, suggesting that babies begin lip reading because they're interested in speech and language. But again, as we shared, children who are visually impaired uh, are still able to learn language. So this isn't something that should send parents into a tailspin. Right. It's really like, yes, obviously it is a cue that children use and they do, they do lip read. So it, it has an effect, but as we stated, there are multiple instances ch- children use a lot of cues right to mm-hmm. develop speech and language so they will be okay um and along that same line um do masks cause other like social and emotional skill delays um and there's been kind of some mixed thoughts and and stuff about this um and what we mean by that is you know not only are children trying to pick up just general language you know what a what the word ball is. Um, they also are developing their social skills. They're developing, you know, what feelings are paired with what expression on people's faces. They're developing all of that. So that's, that's kind of the concern there that you're still blocking half of your, your face. Um, so concerns that wearing masks might interfere with natural learning experiences. Um, based off the visual cues and expressions of people's faces, um, they've actually been studied before the pandemic. So when in a, in one study published in the Journal of Cognition um, in 2012, when children ages three to eight viewed faces covered with face masks, they didn't show any impairment classifying expressions. Um, this suggested that children under nine preferred studying the eye area, even when they could see the full face um, and they didn't have any issues naming the expression that they were seeing. Which that's a pro-life tip right there. Like you want to uh, to get someone's vibe, look at their eyes always. You can tell a lot about someone by their eyeballs. I, I can. You can tell who's with us, who's not with us. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. uh, That doesn't surprise me that children look into someone's eyes to see um, what the expression actually is. Yeah. And I mean, that was that one study. And then, of course, to the complete counterpart of it. The Journal of Neonatal Nursing had a discussion paper where it said the difficulty in determining what facial expression a person is exhibiting behind a mask or facial covering may present challenges for infants and young children depend that depend on their parents' facial expressions, coupled with tone and other things um, to regulate their reactions towards others. Mm-hmm. So overall, looking at people's mouths while they talk or express themselves is one way, one tool children use to learn social and emotional skills, but it's not the only thing. So just as much uh, FaceTime face with your child as just do is sorry as much face-to-face time with your child at home without a mask as you can um and i know that tyler and i try to do that as much as we can even when we are in an environment with ezra where we do have to wear a mask um we try to take him into a safer place and pull down the mask for a minute so he can see our face so if we're in target i do take him into the restroom 
let him see my face, you know, without my mask just for a second, put it back up and then keep going on about what we're doing. Yeah, same. Um, Because it's definitely something you think about. I mean, I don't know, when you're bringing your baby out to the public for potentially the first time and everyone's covering half their face. Um, it definitely concerned me, but um, like, there are plenty there are plenty of instances and plenty of things that children use to learn like language and social development uh, besides mm-hmm. that one area of the face. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that one piece on tone was really interesting. I know that when we wear a mask and we're out with Ezra, I sort of over animate my voice to let mm-hmm. him know that I'm feeling comfortable and happy. And I'll see him giggle and laugh. So I know he's hears in my voice what I'm thinking. Um, just to assuage the parents who like I was. I was like, what if a mask means he doesn't like know what's going on? And mm-hmm. they're able to pick it up. Um, yeah. And that's that's another great tip is to like over animate like you're doing to narrate a bit more to speak just louder and more clearly mm-hmm. when you're wearing a mask um, just because it muffles it a bit. Um, so if you can try and keep all that in mind when you're wearing a mask, um, that is helpful. Great. Well, uh, that is all that we have. And then our blog, uh, which Megan will share how to find that in a second, we'll link a bunch of these studies and then some additional tips. Yes. Um, so you can find the blog on our website at megansasmamas.com. And follow us on Instagram also as mamas. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast, please rate and subscribe and share this with a mama in your life. Till next time. Bye. Bye.